This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a chilly Monday evening here in Gonzo, Knoxville, Tennessee at Fort Rucker Studio, just a couple of miles away from Tennessee's campus, which has been a busy, busy place of late. This is, uh, it's three sports season, guys. It's three sports season now for us here on the podcast because football season Never, ever sleeps. We know that. Basketball season starting to get thick. Vols right there, back in the top five of the polls. Another big week coming up, another road trip. We're going to talk about some of that in the second segment. Also going to talk in the second segment of this episode about baseball. Tennessee baseball is underway. The ninth-ranked Vols uh, had a pretty good weekend. Not a great weekend, but I would say a pretty good weekend down there in Dallas, in Arlington to be specific. And we're going to talk about all that with Ben McKee in the second segment. But before we do that, we're going to get to some big, big, big football news in the first segment of this episode. How you doing? Hope y'all are well. Hope everything is good in your world. And I hope you're ready to hear a lot of information in this podcast. We're going to cram a lot of three-sport information here uh, into one episode because Tennessee has made two hires to the football staff, not one, but two. Uh, We know that there were vacancies there from the past couple of weeks, and uh, it appears they are well on their way to being filled at the same time. So uh, we won't get as much juice out of that. We'll just get one podcast, not two. That's okay because the Vols have the guys that they have wanted. They got uh, Derail Sims from Cincinnati uh, to come in there and coach the running backs. And then William Inge from uh, Washington uh, maybe was going to go to Alabama. Now he's not. He's going to go to Tennessee. We'll talk about that, obviously. But he is coaching Tennessee's linebackers. That was the assistant head coach of the team. That went undefeated, uh, Pac-12 champions, college football playoff semifinal winner, and national runner-up. So that's a a big pull there for Tennessee. Lots to talk about, and to do that, we're going to go to that undisclosed location and get to Patrick Brown, and we're going to go to that home daycare center, get to Ryan Callahan. Fellas, how are we doing on this Monday night? I'm doing well, Wes. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm doing better than Ryan. Um, I <laughs> got to watch the end of the Daytona 500 amid the coaching hires, and 
parental uh, obligations and uh yeah big wreck so and, a big... Uh, sort of a lousy finish so i was hoping for some overtime there yeah that was spoiler it... alert if you if you taped the race and didn't get to watch the end of it there well he didn't say who won so that's at least something yeah you know and really jeff I gordon think... won there that that's it like if they have enough wrecks <laughs> if they have enough wrecks in the end they really it should go default to the talladega nights rules where they get out of the car and they race and if, even if it doesn't count, they should get out and race on foot to the checkered flag because something needs to happen. You can't end a race under caution. That's just that's just nonsense. That's as nonsense as this Virginia basketball offense. I was just watching while finishing some working on some work stuff. Uh, just lost seventy five to thirty one to Virginia Tech or seventy five forty one to Virginia Tech what in Blacksburg. Earth. Yeah, that was some oh, Tony Bennett ball. Sometimes not for the faint of heart. But we're going to talk basketball in the second segment, guys. We're going to talk football in this one because. Tennessee, we we sort of heard there there might be a higher today. Turns out there's two, uh, two Christmases. Uh, speaking of Talladega Nights, two Christmases, fellas. What do we think of these hires, either collectively, individually, whichever way you want to take it? I'll go to you, Pat, first. What do you what do you think about either one of these hires specifically? Do you feel differently about the different hires? Do you feel good about both? What's the deal there? Well, I, I think th- I think they're in line with what you. What you would expect, and what I mean by that is, you you dig a little bit into these guys and ask around and talk to some people about them, and uh, what you hear, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Why why they hired him? For me, Darrell Sims is, um, you know, when when they hired Jerry Mack a couple years ago, uh, I mean, he was coming from Rice. Nobody knew, you know, nobody knew Jerry Mack from anybody, uh, but he came in here and he did a good job as a recruiter Mm -hmm. and and did a good job with the running backs. So. Uh, what's to say that, that Sims can't come in and do the same? I think he's got, um, you know, his background in coaching is he's from South Carolina. He's coached at several schools in North Carolina, which obviously those are two states that Tennessee does recruit and, mm-hmm. and potentially would like to recruit more. He coached at James Madison when they were uh, the dominant force at the FCS level. And, and then he's gotten in the power five and, and had productive backfields and uh, for two seasons at Louisville. And then this past season at Cincinnati with Scott Satterfield and, uh, something that Ryan put on our site talking to uh, our, our Cincinnati side in the 24 seven sports network is kind of pointed out that Cincinnati's offense wasn't very good this past season, but they still ran the ball. Well, I think they were what six in the country in rushing, despite not having a passing game of any semblance. Uh, the, the Bearcats were very good in their first season, of the big 12, but uh, they, they did run the football well and, and had a, a thousand yard rusher and a couple other guys that were productive in the backfield. And so that just sounds like a guy that Tennessee would bring in a guy that's, yeah. you know, maybe not a big name, um, but is a solid coach and and has some, you know, t- ties recruiting wise in some areas that that Tennessee wants to potentially have, you know, have its foot in and be involved in. And uh, and with William Minge coming from Washington and and you know he was supposedly going to Alabama for a while there yep. uh, with Kalen DeBoer, who by the way he worked for um, for the past going back to 2019 in Indiana. Um, he he's going to be kind of a uh, a lot like the other guys on that defensive staff with, with Rodney Garner, Tim Banks, uh, Mike Eckler, Willie Martinez, all those guys you throw engine there. And now they've all kind of coached around the same amount of time. All, you know, Inge was a, a, a pretty good player at Iowa. So um, they're kind of maybe old school guys that are, are probably good evaluators, maybe not still the best recruiters in this day and age of, of NIL where, yeah, you might find guys and recruit them well and develop a good relationship, and then at the end, maybe you just get outbid. Um, Do they know what a G wagon is? Do they know what a G wagon is? The to, things to like this are blunt, important. To put it bluntly, but um, he, he sounds like a guy that 
from, from a couple of people I talked to connects well with his players. Uh, you hear different things about how Washington's linebacker linebackers played. Uh, they obviously gave us some big runs in the championship game to Michigan, but um, certainly a, a, sort of a, maybe an old school kind of coach. And I think that sort of fits in uh, with what the defensive staff has with, with Tim Banks, Garner and the rest of those guys. And so uh, when you, when you consider those factors, I think those two, uh, um, I, I think those two hires make a lot of sense. And uh, I think the, probably the biggest thing that is that stands out to me is, is that they got Inge away from Kalen DeBoer because he, was with them in Indiana for a year. They went to Fresno State together. Uh, then they were at Washington, and obviously Washington's had a great couple of seasons, and he was in line to go to Alabama until Tennessee kind of swooped in. We'll see what the – if there is a co-DC title. Um, not sure that there will yeah, be. I but, think he was assistant uh, head coach at Washington. Certain, he was he was the co-defensive coordinator up there. He I don't think he was the primary play caller for the Huskies, but uh, certainly heavily involved in game planning, and um, uh, it might be – at Tennessee, he might be more of just a guy that focuses on his position. That might be what he, yeah. what he wants to do and what he does best. So that would be my expectation for that. Um, but he, he's a guy that's got a lot of experience. And, and to get him away from Kalen DeBoer, that staff was, you know, I, I think they had built some, or at least those two had built some pretty good uh, relationships over the past three or four years. So for Tennessee to get him away from him, I think uh, I think says a lot about this hire. And that probably is the biggest standout to me from these from these two coaches. Uh, I haven't heard anything that would suggest there's a code DC title involved. And I, I don't think there is he, for what it's worth. He was not expected to be a code defensive coordinator at Alabama either, but, but he, um, he he was, I mentioned this earlier. He was the assistant head coach at Washington, which could just be something in his contract to, to, yeah. to justify the pay raise or whatever they've right. done. That happens. That stuff happens, but he did have that title. He did. Yeah. I, I think the, and I mean, especially with, with DeBoer apparently not having the idea of giving him that title at Alabama too. I think that might just be a, I mean, sometimes just the move to the sec can sort of offset that for a lot of people. Cause I mean, he, this is the guy who was at Fresno state just a couple of years ago and now he's, he's in the sec. So he's obviously made a, a pretty good jump here in a short amount of time, but uh, regardless, yeah, pretty, pretty well respected hire, I think. And uh, a guy who's, who's shown he can do solid work both on the field and in recruiting uh, has some some Midwest ties, you know. Obviously, has some West Coast experience, so some different different things he brings to the table there. As this staff continues to to branch out, kind of from coast to coast. Um, but the interesting thing about that hire to me is it's really kind of outside the family, a little bit like mm-hmm. Brian John Marie was a few years ago. There wasn't really uh, any uh, history between him and, and Tim Banks or anybody else on on Tennessee staff. They just sort of went out and got the best guy they could find for the job. And in this case. Not only did Tennessee do that, they did it in pretty short order. I mean, for this hire to be sort of an outside the family hire, it, it happened pretty quickly to me, what, five days after Brian John Marie left. So um, that for that to come together that quickly uh, is, is pretty impressive to me. And we know that uh, Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator, obviously, uh, from what we've reported before, had, had a pretty big say in this in this hire. And uh, so so for his for his desire to be to to go out and, and get somebody like that that he hadn't worked with before, certainly interesting with all his you know coaching experience. And he goes back to what 1997, I think, was the start of his coaching career. He's been around a long time now. So for him to to not go back in the Rolodex and and kind of go to somebody he knew before, when so many coaches do that, pretty interesting to me. Um, and, and a little bit similar with Darrell Sims, I, I do think that is. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for maybe the headline grabber of the two, I think that one has the, uh, the potential to be, you know, maybe as, as, uh, as Chad Brindle from, from our, uh, Cincinnati site, uh, mentioned to me Monday night, he's got kind of the, uh, you know, sort of the rising star label, a little bit of an up and comer in a lot of people's eyes. Um, the first thing that, that stood out to me in talking with people was, uh, even at Louisville where he was for two years before going to Cincinnati. And he did always spend one year at Cincinnati. 
after following Scott Satterfield there from Louisville. But during his time at Louisville, he actually got a commitment from five-star running back Ruben Owens out of Texas. Uh, he was committed to Louisville for almost six months, and he flipped to Texas A&M in December of 2022 after Scott Satterfield left for Cincinnati. So um, that was a pretty impressive win, obviously, and a lot of people gave Darrell Sims the the main credit for that recruiting victory. So uh, that's that's pretty big time to show you can go into Texas and get a player of that caliber. I think at the time he was ranked the number one running back in the country. That was a coup for Louisville, got a lot of talk nationally. Um, so for him to have that kind of recruiting win, even though it didn't stick after that staff left, um, that, that speaks volumes to me. And that's the kind of thing that obviously you're looking for in projecting a coach like that to the SEC. He's not been in the SEC before. He's not really been quite at this level, depending on how you look at, at the Louisville's and Cincinnati's of the world. But um, when you're projecting a guy, obviously you feel better when you have a guy like that who's who's shown he can win a big-time recruiting battle in this this era of college football. So I think that all speaks well for him. And just the reputation for him is that he's a he's a hard worker. He knows how to develop relationships. He's, he's coached his position well, as Patrick mentioned. And I think there's a there's a sense after seeing him at six different schools over 12 years as a running backs coach, you know, from Carson Newman all the way up to Cincinnati, that, uh, that this is a guy who just keeps, keeps climbing the ranks for a reason. So uh, to me, on the surface, that sounds like a pretty good hire. And, and like Patrick said, you know, kind of in line with what you would ex- would expect at the same time for Tennessee. There's a um, there's a certain flavor to a lot of these hires for, for Josh Heupel where I think they that there's a certain type of personality I think that me- meshes well with them. I think yeah. these guys have definitely have the potential to upgrade Tennessee staff overall, uh, but they're 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 very much in line in some ways with what you would kind of expect a a Josh Heupel hire outside the family to be. So I think these are these are good hires. And if Tennessee fans are, are just looking at this on the surface, uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I do too. I mean, uh, you think about it, what I was interested going into this hiring process was Tennessee is in a much better position overall than it was, say, when Heupel got there, right? Duh. Like, we can look at these things and we can see that. You know, no, no kidding, Wes. Is grass still green? I mean, we know that Tennessee's in a better position than it was a few years ago. But uh, I wondered – would that mean that they would attract a different kind of candidate in that it was a very high-profile candidate? Now, Rodney Garner, and there were some others who were who were sort of high-profile additions when, when he first got there, um, but in terms of, of guys who, you know, names that Tennessee fans are like casual to, to fairly dedicated fans would, would know. And Inge is, is obviously not one of those names because he's been on the left coast. So a lot of people, that's a different kind of thing. T- to my mind, you're talking about co-defensive coordinator, assistant head coach from the team that played for the national championship and played a good game against Michigan. Good hire, right? Like, you think off the bat, good hire. Now, with Sims, you're obviously going with the guy who, not a big name, uh, not not that that matters because, you know, Heupel, there were a lot of people who didn't love the Heupel hire when he got to Tennessee, right? You heard people talking about, well, he didn't really that he, he the guy before him had done most of the winning there. Frost had and Heupel the the team lost a little bit more when when Heupel was there at the end. Yada yada, and there were people who may have been more excited about like the Dooley hire or something than, than they were about the Heupel hire. And we've obviously seen how that went, right? Like Heupel's been fine; he's been really good. So I don't think that necessarily means that it will or won't work, but I was just curious as to see what kind of candidate they would attract if they wanted. And we don't know, right? We don't know exactly. We know a little bit, but we don't know exactly about which guys they really wanted at the top. Were these the guys? Were there some other guys and it didn't work? But I I was interested in that going into the process. Is that is that well, weird? 
No, that's not weird at all. And I think that's, I think that's the encouraging thing here about Tennessee is that, uh, you know, in this search, especially the running backs coach, they attracted some, some pretty good candidates that, uh, you know, really from across the country that I think would have taken the job from what I had been uh, led to believe, uh, you know, barring something unforeseen. So uh, I think we have a a little better feel for sort of where the running back search was. Uh, The linebacker search was a little quicker. There weren't as many, um, you know, sort of ties with that search. That was was a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am search at linebacker yeah i mean yeah i mean neither one took especially long it's about a week on the running backs hire about five days on the linebackers hire but still um you know just a, a little quicker on the linebackers and then you just didn't know exactly where tim banks was going to look in and drumming up some candidates for that job but we know carlos lachlan the oregon running backs coach was heavily involved in the in the search for a running backs coach so was anthony jones jr the tcu running backs coach both of those guys have strong Memphis ties. You know, I know some people thought mm-hmm. Tennessee might look to go in that direction because, you know, you lose Jerry Mack, yeah. you lose that, uh, those Memphis ties that sort of made him a candidate for the, for the Tennessee job three years ago to begin with. Um, but I don't think they viewed that as a, a must have in this search. And clearly that wasn't the, the, the deal breaker in the end that some people thought, you know, maybe it would be. Uh, I think they, they see the, the, the Carolina ties that, derail Sims has, and that, that has some value too. Jerry Mack also recruited Charlotte. People, might remember that he uh, coached at North Carolina Central and mm-hmm. ha- had some ties in North Carolina that made him attractive to Tennessee too. So you get those North Carolina and South Carolina ties. He's from South Carolina. And then, you know, throw in just the, the overall recruiting ability that I think they believe will translate to other areas. So he certainly could end up recruiting Memphis. I think he's recruited Memphis uh, at, at times in the past at, at some previous stops. So that's something else to, to keep in mind. But they uh, uh, or at least has been involved with some guys there. So we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully find out more about that soon. But, uh, but I think, yeah, he is, he's definitely someone that uh, they, they like the skill set enough across the board that they, they turned down the, the chance to go after some pretty attractive candidates uh, that, you know, had some, had some power five experience in some cases, but those are the, 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 the main three in the end, I think were, uh, were Lachlan Jones and, and Sims. And that's a, that's a pretty good field to draw from, you know, guys like that, that had, uh, you know, pretty major program experience and, uh, and, and some guys that I, I, frankly, I'm not sure would have been on Tennessee's radar quite as much, uh, three years ago when they were looking for a running backs coach the first time. Yeah. And Pat, when you look at it, yeah, I mean, for, for, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Cause I was going to ask you something, but I want no, you to answer first. Well, I was just going to say just the, the perception of these hires and, and a lot of, and a lot of times, uh, for fans, you know, when, when a position comes open, I mean, how, how many questions do we get on, on our board, on the checkerboard about, just the names that Tennessee fans are familiar with because they either played at Tennessee or they coached here. The Ontario Hardesties, the Jay Grams. I mean, th- those guys weren't coming here. Trooper Taylor, you know, we got a Dale Jones reference or two for the linebackers coach job on our board. Good like, guy. Good guy, Dale Jones. It's right, funny you I say mean, that. I got a, I got a text this afternoon as soon as the hire was announced saying, why not Jay Graham? <laughs> First thing that got mentioned to me. I mean, we were, it was, it, I don't want to say it was a running joke on our, in our work thread, but we were, you know, in the aftermath of Jerry McLeave, and it was like, okay, when are we going to get the, you know, the references? We got some Robert Gillespie references. He's at Alabama now, but he coached here, so people know him. Uh, yeah. So people are going to, you know, fans are going to do that, and then they're also just going to look at where are you coming from, you know? And so, you know, with, with William Inge, he's coming from Washington. They just play for the national title. Okay, that's pretty good. You dig into his background a little bit more. He's coached a lot of places. He's been around the block a few times. Okay, makes sense. He was going to Alabama. This isn't out. This isn't the same in Alabama anymore. Let's let's make sure everybody gets that clear. This is not Nick same as Alabama anymore. Um, but still, you're coming from Alabama, whatever. Um, in, in the case of, of Darrell Sims, he's from Cincinnati, and Tennessee fans maybe they're just jaded for taking guys from Cincinnati. Maybe it's the Butch Jones effect, but yeah. 
again, the other candidates, as Ryan mentioned, were Oregon. You know, if you get a, you know, Oregon's been a, a at the top of the the West Coast power rankings, whatever you want to call them. That that's been a program that's always had a lot of good running backs, and then TCU as well. They just also just play for the national title. So that's that's kind of how fans are going to default to um, from a perception standpoint, and and, and kind of like we talked about. I mean, this these hires sort of show something of a profile um, in terms of they fit what Tennessee has done in the past with this staff and also kind of what the staff is now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, coaching searches are funny things. We've all covered enough of them, whether they be head coaches, coordinators, assistant coaches. When you hire a guy, you really never know how it's going to play out. I mean, there, there's guys yeah. that have come on board that you're like, why did they hire that guy? That guy then that guy does fine. There's been big name guys that maybe haven't gotten the job done as well. So, uh, especially in assistant coaches, because, um, you know, a, a lot of fans, a lot of e- even some of the diehard fans that are giving us money every month, you know, that they can't name every running backs coach in the SEC. So, and, and probably the three of us can't either. So, um, not you know, all it's just, of them. No. It, no, but I mean, you just kind of have to, you know, once you see a guy come on a radar or, or get hired in this case or in Inge's case, because that one was, not quite out of the blue, but also kind of out of the blue. Um, you kind of just have to do a little bit of digging and, and see what the, you know, what the reputation is, what people think. And then you can kind of, you know, make a judgment from there. But uh, again, these guys could turn out to be great hires. They could turn out to be hires that aren't so great and only time's going to tell. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, basically a version of that, Pat. So now I'll ask it to Ryan instead because you, you did a really good job of answering it there. But in, in terms of... Thank you. The person you're welcome. In terms of the personality profile, like the question I guess for me was, you know, if now that Hypel in theory had a chance to go out and and be on a stronger footing to go out there and get some bigger games if he wanted to, or would he just do what he's always done, which is kind of follow his own compass, right? Like I, I think Hypel's very very comfortable in his own skin. I think he always kind of has been, but especially now at Tennessee, he's had some success. He's kind of gotten 10 toes in. He feels good. They, you know, people around here still like him quite a bit. I think he feels really comfortable and confident within himself. And I think he just kind of knows the kinds of dudes that he wants, both as a recruiting profile and adding coaches to your staff. From what we've heard about these guys, and not just the X's and O's, but in terms of what we've sort of heard about these guys, Ryan, they just kind of sound like guys that that Josh Heupel would want in his program. He definitely, definitely, I think, has a type, we can say at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. And and, and as you said, kind of kind of follows his own compass. Uh I, I think I think a key part of this is don't you know, don't forget he's been at Oklahoma where where things didn't end so well at his alma mater when he was there as an assistant coach. Uh he's he's been at some different places as he's worked worked his way up through the business. So he has seen some different staffs where things probably weren't quite the way he has them now. And I think he knows what in his mind maybe led to some of the issues that, that staffs may have had at previous stops. And he uh, obviously has a certain plan for building his program. And, you know, we we hear from a lot of staffs, I mean, from Dabo Sweeney and Hugh freeze and, you know, uh, coaches across the country sell culture a lot. Um, We've heard it from previous coaches at Tennessee, no doubt. Um, some of them it's, it's sort of, you know, that, that there's a different definition of that everywhere you go, obviously, sometimes it, it means one thing, sometimes it means another, but Tennessee sells culture and it's not just a talking point. I think they, I think we've seen enough now over three years that, 
they genuinely believe. I think I think this staff believes that, that that's one of the things that's going to carry them to a championship. Um, if they if they can get there uh, eventually, it's going to c- come in part because they believe the culture was built the right way, and and that comes from players, but it also comes from from the top down. It comes from the coaching staff, and uh, I, I think he, you know, I, it's sometimes it's hard to find out in a in a round of you know speed dating in a in a week long coaching search or something like that exactly who's the right fit for you, but you do the best you can. And I think they can kind of tell there's just sort of a vibe to, to get, you know, in a, when you want to work with a guy and, and whether that's a certain personality type or whatever. Yeah. It just seems like they have, have when they've had a chance to hire guys, they've either promoted from within with a guy that they know is going to fit well with them and work well with them on a daily basis, or they've gone outside and hired someone who, who seems like a similar type of personality. So uh, I, I think that's definitely part of it, but yeah, they, no doubt they wanted to upgrade the, you know, or at least tr- do their best to upgrade the recruiting ability of this staff too, uh, w- in making these hires. Uh, so I think they've, they've done their best to kind of check both of those boxes, I think, and we'll, we'll see how it turns out. But yeah, I think that it's definitely uh, a, an active part of these searches is finding guys that, that fit well with them and that they think are going to, going to mesh well with uh, what's obviously a pretty healthy culture inside the program three years in. Yeah. You might hire somebody that you don't know, but you're never going to hire somebody who isn't well known by somebody you know well. Like you're not going to do that. The, there's not the the personalities can be so combustible in, in in athletics and college football. That's a lot of that's a lot of egos. That's a lot of testosterone in one building. That's a lot of pressure when you're in a place like a Tennessee. So you might occasionally hire someone that you don't know well, but you're you're never going to hire someone who isn't well known to people you know well. Like you're going to know there, there has to be a connection there. It's not just like a, Hey, I heard you were a good coach. I'm going to come talk to you. Like, no, these guys are a fraternity. Like they know each other. There's going to be some, some connective tissues there or, or else they, I don't think this would happen. Cause I mean, Hypel's in a position now, especially where he can go be a little choosy if he wants to be, I know spring practice starts in less than a month, whatever. You still had time to go do this. And this isn't a time in the recruiting calendar where I think where he just had to just in a pressure to rat race to get it done quick. Like he could have taken another week or two if he had really wanted to. So I think he had to feel pretty good about this or he wouldn't have done it. Well, and and to your point, I I know Tennessee called around and and talked to some different people about these candidates. They did not just, you know, base it on what they heard in interviews. You're obviously, I mean, just like your link, your LinkedIn looks good. Let's let's talk to (laughs) you. You know? That's right. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to check the references, so to speak. And that's, and, and they do that either with guys that they know, or they, they try to chase someone down that, that knows them. Um, so yeah, I think they've, they've certainly done their due diligence and checked into this and done their best to, to, to make sure that, and, and part of that is also just making sure that these guys have the skill set that mm-hmm. you think they have. Cause again, they got to fit the know, offense. The, they got to fit the offense. Uh, well, it's a weird offense. Not, 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 not that so much. I think the recruiting side of things is probably the biggest thing because you are neither of these guys has been in the SEC before. So uh, you're 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 making sure that these guys can can be competitive and 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 give you what you're you're seeking as a, a as a recruiter. I think they they felt pretty good about the coaching side of things probably, uh, but but that's one thing you got to sort of check on is sort of what's the reputation of these guys as, as recruiters. Um, and and yeah, you're you're checking on everything and you're checking to make sure they're a good guy and that they're easy to work with and all those things. Uh, that they're that they're coaching their positions well, but I, I think that's maybe the big thing because you do have to project that. That's the one thing about it, you know. X's and O's that can kind of translate across the board. You know, different systems, different different programs, different conferences. Football is football to a degree, but it's defensively. You know, can, can, defensively, yes. Heupel's offense, not necessarily. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, again, though, it's just when you're bringing in somebody outside, it's just you know that that there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment, maybe you know, regardless. But but on but on the whole, I think the big thing that you're wondering if it translates is does that does that skill set you know does this does this guy have a track record? Because it's hard to tell. Like just just like when I kind of thought three years ago, people were just assuming Josh Heupel wasn't much of a recruiter because he'd been at UCF, and of course, your recruiting rankings are are not good when you're at UCF. Um, for the most part, when you're at a program like that, it's just hard to be a top 25, top 30 program. Yeah, and, and, and if you are, you're rank. cheating your tail off. Like there's right. no, yeah. And well, back then, yeah, I guess now it's yeah. not so much cheating, but, um, but now, uh, but yeah, now, uh, when, when you're looking at a guy like that from a, you know, from a Louisville, from a Cincinnati, from even a Washington, uh, where, where they can recruit pretty well sometimes, but still not quite at the same level, you got to find out, can that guy, does he have a reputation on his staff of being a good recruiter? Is he just okay? When he got a highly ranked player at his position, was he not really the reason they got it? You know, things like that. You got to try to piece that together and see what you can find out. So, so definitely, they they did their due diligence. I, I don't think there's you know really a strong tie that I'm aware of right now with with either of these guys. But absolutely, you're you're checking around and and seeing seeing if they if you can find out as much as possible about these guys. And and there's no, I'm sure with all the all the different connections that Tim Banks has and everybody else in the staff, they were able to at least yeah. get some some valid references of what these guys are like. And, and maybe you bumped into some of them on the recruiting trail at, at other times too. I mean, there's sure. all sorts of things, you know, like the, I've, I've heard coaches tell stories before about them seeing an assistant who was with another program and they bumped into him during a recruiting visit somewhere. And they've said like, Oh, I like that guy. I'm going to look into that guy. I, I, I think I'd like him on my staff at some point. I really was impressed with him and people can meet that way. Like it's just how, how things go. But I mean, I, I think the bottom line is now they can, they can get these guys in, uh, assuming everything gets across the line, as they might say, over the pond, and they get everything signed and sealed, and and they get these guys into the program in full full speed ahead, right? I mean, you didn't have to hire somebody right now. You could have waited. But now that they have, that gives them nearly a month or so to kind of get ready for spring practice with these guys, which I think could be helpful. Yeah, and getting it over the line is, you know, sometimes taken for granted. But yeah, we saw with William Inge. I mean, he was supposed to be coaching Alabama, and now he's not. But he's not the only one that's bailed on that that one. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, that can't be denied. Well, well, yeah. I mean, again, this is not this is not Alabama. It's not Alabama anymore. It's Alabama in name only. Um, but uh, but yeah, and, and you know, Josh Apple probably wants some brownie points with Tennessee fans for. <laughs> "Quote unquote," taking a coach from Alabama. That's true. Who's Bama uh, going to hire? Take that guy. Oh, they hired somebody in about ten minutes. It reminded me of the time that uh, when, when Terry Fair was ousted as as uh, at Tennessee uh, as the coaching staff, and then they had Derek Ainsley hired uh, about ten minutes later. Yeah, so that's what it reminded me of. I think they're hiring Christian Robinson. I think because Inge was going to be the outside linebackers coach down there. But anyways, um. Yeah, they're taking over two interesting situations, you know, with Sims and the running back room. It's it's really an inexperienced group, but yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see what his take on those guys are when he gets them in, in spring practice with Dylan Sampson. Obviously, we haven't seen a whole lot uh, of the rest of those guys that are all going to be freshmen and sophomores with with Cam Selden and uh, Khalifa Keith. And obviously, they won't see Peyton Lewis in the spring because uh, he's uh, underwent procedure to clean something up uh, that he got to campus with. So. Uh, we'll get a chance to see the, the newest guy in, the, in that backfield. But in Inge's case, he's got a crowded room there. All those linebackers played a lot last year. That's one thing Brian Jean-Marie did is he played his young guys. Um, so they bring Keenan Peely back, and they've got uh, all those guys that were sophomores and freshmen last year that should benefit from the experience. And that should be a pretty competitive room as well. So 
Um, that this is going to be an important couple of weeks for those guys to see what they have for the players to see what kind of coaches they're getting. I think it was tough for some of Tennessee's linebackers from what I was told uh, about Jean Marie leaving. Um, you know, that was a you know tough deal for some of those guys, um, as some of these things sometimes are, but, mm-hmm. um, certainly they'll have a, an open mind to want to get to know a guy that's coached a lot. And, um, for inch, he can come in and say that he coached Khalil Mack, um, which is interesting. And, uh, probably the other thing too, um, both these guys I haven't mentioned is that I think they've coached in Neyland stadium against Tennessee. Uh, I think end was at Buffalo going back to that, the Derek Dooley era there. Um, and then I think Inge was at Western or not Inge Sims was at Western Carolina when they played in 2015. So they've seen, maybe that's why they wanted to coach at Tennessee because they they've gotten an, you know, seen it, but, um, yeah, this is going to be an, an important few weeks for those guys to sort of, uh, ought not, you know, get to know the current players and current guys as well, but also to familiarize themselves with the, the recruiting board. Some of the targets, Ryan's already got a story up with, with, uh, Sims talking to Justin Baker, Tennessee's running back commitment in this class. Uh, so those guys got to hit the ground running and uh, they haven't been announced yet, but they're already working for Tennessee. That's just kind of how these things go. Yeah. The uh, I guess I'm very well familiar with well aware of Buffalo. I wrote their fight song, if you remember correctly, a few years ago. So I am, uh, I'm, I don't, well, you should, because it was a gold standard. And now at some point I'm going to have to play it for you during the podcast because it was really, really, really something. It, it, it definitely didn't involve any copyright infringement. No, there was no copyright infringement at all. Van Halen never sued. <laughs> it was not a big deal. Is, That's what I'm, and I'm wearing, I'm actually wearing a blue shirt now, which is sort of a cub shirt, but I mean, we'll say it's a, a Buffalo, Buffalo well, bull shirt. It, my question for William Minge is, is he the first coach ever to go from the Buffalo Bulls to the Buffalo Bills? Cause he did that. That's he was true. defensive coordinator for the, for the Mac team, and then was the assistant defensive line coach for the NFL team. Has anybody ever done that before? I gotta know. I, well, I, I do know that he basically it was like Chico Canales a few years ago, just changing the color of his orange from from uh, Tennessee orange to UTEP orange, and just still being the same exact guy. That was a good old you, funny joke. A few do you years think ago. you think Inge had the Buffalo Bulls logo on his backpack, and people just like assumed that? That's kind of that kind of looks like a bill, whatever a bill is. Yeah, right. Bill, yeah, that's bill. Yeah, that's bill. Or just you know, just right. just take like a sharpie or whatever, and like I mean, they're both blue. I mean, that just shouldn't be a big deal. One's blue and black, I mean, and one's blue and red. But whatever. Has anybody ever gone from like Tulane to the Saints? I mean, that's that's where we're from Georgia Tech to the Falcons. I mean, that's what we're kind of looking at here. No, but I did one time. Cover... Well, it's time to hit a break. I think we're derailing here. No, but I also <laughs> wanted to talk about the well kid played. who you mentioned Tulane. I'll never forget the one of the funniest things ever was the kid who. Uh, we wrote down a list or sent me a list of like schools that had offered him or whatever. And he wrote Tulane, T-W-O-L-A-N-E. And I was like, I don't know if you're going to get into Tulane, bud. I don't, I don't, I hate to, hate to break it to you. So, uh, that's, we, that's we, like we've all been players, there, right? right? The universe that, that's akin to writing the university of Ole Miss is one of your, yes. The rebel black bears. Yeah. <laughs> university of Ole Miss guys. Thanks. Uh, th- w- oh, go ahead, Ron. You got one more thing. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say real, real quick, uh, obviously, uh, Every time on the podcast, we want to tell you to sign up for GoVols 24-7, 30% off uh, your first year uh, to sign up right now. Uh, but but yeah, uh, we'll have plenty of coverage tracking down these guys. As Patrick said, uh, we did with Justin Baker on Monday night uh, after he pretty quickly heard from Derail Sims. Uh, but we will be keeping tabs on sort of where those guys uh, end up uh, turning their attention and recruiting, you know, any, any new offers that go out, things like that. So we've got updates from the Under Armour camp down in Georgia on Sunday as well. But uh, we'll be keeping an eye on the, the recruiting fallout of this uh, to the extent that there will be 
uh, you know, significant changes, but we'll, we'll certainly be tracking all that and, and have it all for you at GoVols 24-7 in the coming days. And uh, this is Ryan's version of asking the teacher about the homework at the end of the class, because Wes and I have sort of sent this yeah. thing off the rails a little bit, talked <laughs> about backpacks and how to spell Tulane, and now Ryan's like, here, do something serious. Yeah, and I might actually, uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and hit uh, hit stop now. I'm going to go ahead and go on to the commercial break. But when I go in for post-editing this, I might drop in a snippet from the, from the Buffalo fight song that, that I helped them make a few years ago. So we might we may or may not do that. But regardless, what I will say and what we definitely will have on this podcast is me thanking you all for being here for the first segment of it. So uh, Ryan and, uh, and Pat, thanks for being here, fellas. Thanks, Wes. Have a good night. Appreciate it. We'll be right back here on the Govals 24-7 podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, about to be joined by Ben McKee there from his unnamed home studio after we were joined by Ryan and uh, and Pat there in the first segment, also with a guest appearance by Steel Maverick with their hit song, Buffalo, which, of course, I wrote years ago, helped them write years ago as a, uh, a, a fight song for the Buffalo Bulls because I thought no one knows the Buffalo Bulls 
you know, fight song. So let's just go ahead and make one for them. And we tried to get their AD on the show and have fun with it years ago. Cause we were talking about Ben, you missed all that. We were talking about Buffalo uh, there in the first segment, because that's uh, part one of Tennessee's new assistant football coaches had spent time at Buffalo. So if you're just now joining us, that was the fun that we had there toward the end of the first segment. We're going to shift the topic into discussing um, into basketball and, and a little bit of baseball, even though we're going to have a full uh, baseball edition of the podcast, the Diamond Vols podcast will come out, plan to be coming out tomorrow, which is Tuesday, February 20th. We'll have another one there. Uh, but before we do all of that, just a quick uh, request from our end to please go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening there on the website at GoVols247.com, nothing wrong with that. No wrong way to consume this podcast. does help us out more, though, if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon. Anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find this GoVols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. No complaints whatsoever, but since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much uh, to go in there. Just take a second, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends, tell everyone you know, tell everybody all the time about this podcast. And quickly, uh, they've just now kind of tweaked the algorithms a little bit with podcasts. And so if you've already left a review, if you go in and leave a fresher review, that will help us even more in those new sort of algorithms with your apples and Spotify's and everything. So uh, if you've already done that once, that's great. But if you go on there and just give us a quick review, that would be awesome. That helps people find this podcast and that helps us keep doing this thing for free, uh, which we would like to keep doing for free for everybody out there listening. So if you're already doing all that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not, I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Straight back into it. We're going to go over to uh, that unnamed host studio, get to Ben McKee. Ben, how you doing, man? Doing great. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, hope, your, hope your weekend wasn't too crazy there. I know uh, uh, three days there deep in the heart of Texas is, uh, is uh, it's fun, certainly, to go down there and watch that much baseball, but uh, complicates things there in the middle of a basketball season. And now uh, there's five baseball games coming up this week and then a couple basketball games and some travel involved. And I know it's a crazy time of year. So I'll speak on behalf of all the readers at GoVols 24-7 to say thank you for doing that. Um, but uh, how you doing? How was the how was the baseball? Because we're going to have a whole discussion on baseball tomorrow uh, with me and you, and I'm guessing with Will Heflin, our, our good buddy, uh, co-host of the Diamond Balls podcast with us uh, for that. But as a quick kind of sneak preview, what did you think of the weekend yeah it, it was a really fun weekend uh, it was really cool to sit inside the defending world series champs home for a weekend just the, a fabulous beautiful ballpark that opened in 2020 uh just really nice from top to bottom east to west north to south i mean it, it was just absolutely uh phenomenal uh right there in, in the shadows of at&t stadium jerry's world i got to tour that with the parents and, and that was Pretty cool, really cool. Uh, it took three hours to <laughs> to tour it because it's so big, but also because our tour guide uh, knew everything about everything. He, he was very much a, a West Rucker. I was about to say, and, you, did you have Ryan and, Callahan guiding you on the on the tour there? I, I had Ryan Rucker. Uh, oh, that's it. Now, now, now we're done. We're done with the podcast. Now we've jumped the shark. We are done with the <laughs> podcast forever now. I mean, if, if you'd rather go West Callahan instead, we could do that too. Uh, either way, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, just a little bit. No, but the, it was a really productive weekend for Tennessee baseball. Not not a perfect weekend by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but they they easily could have gone three and zero as well. Um, maybe could have gone one and two. Uh, in in addition, if if some of those plays in the Tech game 
goes in favor of of Texas Tech, but uh, I, I thought it was a good sign of things to come. There's certainly question marks, right? I, I only think there's really one pressing question, and and that's about that third Sunday game three starter role, whatever you want to call it. Who, who's going to be that third starting pitcher? To me, that unless I'm just forgetting something, that's that's the most pressing question coming out of the weekend. Uh, there, there's other things of. Okay, how are you going to get Robin Villeneuve's bat in the lineup? How are you going to get? Yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to see him, I wanted to see Villeneuve get some more abs there. He looked good over the weekend. How are you going to get Dalton Bargo in the lineup? How are you going to get Reese Chapman in the lineup? I thought Cal Stark looked really good mm-hmm. defensively, made game changing plays, and even at the plate, he 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 really hit a ball hard to right field on a line drive that was just hit right at the right fielder. I, I thought he looked good. Cannon Peebles looked great. Uh, so there, there's some questions about okay, who's playing when and where uh, but those those are questions that you want to deal with that that's a sign of a great baseball team uh, you have questions about the bullpen in terms of who's going to pitch when and where but I, I thought that was the biggest positive takeaway from the weekend is is there's a lot of uncertainty about that bullpen but a lot of new guys looked really good I thought and, and so that's a, a great sign of, of things to come so overall a really really productive weekend for Tennessee I, I thought it uh, had a SEC feel to it, and for an opening weekend, I also thought it had a regional feel for it. Oklahoma, that Oklahoma yeah. and Tennessee game and Texas Tech-Tennessee game, it was very, very intense, uh, and, and the guys were fired up for it. After several of those key plays to keep it going in extra innings or, or even in the Tech game, players pouring onto the field in between innings, it, it was it's something that Tennessee is going to look back upon and, and, and point to and say that really helped us get better and set us up for the season. Yeah, my very quick bullet points are, one, uh, much more good than bad overall, which is always good for the for the opening weekend. Number two, I really liked some of the at-bats from left-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers throughout the weekend. Um, not all of them went great, but more of them I thought went well than they would have last year. Uh, I thought it was good to see that I really liked the progression that they made in some of those lefty on lefty matchups, at least from what I saw. Uh, and then the the third thing I guess would would be the way that they bounced back from that game against Oklahoma being a really close game. It just didn't quite go your way. Just you just weren't as good as the other team that day. Just weren't as good as you needed to be. And then you get down two nothing to a solid team the next day, but you come back and win that game, dominating. I, I think that was a really good sign for the culture. And I also liked that toward the five one there in the end of the Oklahoma game, uh, I saw, you know, Christian Moore have a great at bat there to get on base in that inning. Also saw Billy Amick who, well, we got a lot to talk about him tomorrow. He uh, hustled his tail off to be down a double play in a game that was five one. You just had the life sucked out of you. I liked that from a culture standpoint. Um, I liked a lot more of what I saw than I than I didn't like. Um, I thought there was a lot to build on. Certainly, questions about who plays where, um, when. You know, the lineup a little bit. I'm not worried about Blake Burke at all. He smoked a couple balls in the last last day there. Um, I like a, a lot of what I saw from Tennessee that weekend. And the very last thing, I love how Vitello does his schedule. Uh, I don't think my wife's happy that there's five games this week, but I think the way that they go in that first weekend and then they play. Um, really, really good competition in, in like in a regional type feel. And that really lets the guys know, hey, this is what you're trying to be. This is who you're going to be playing when it matters. Teams like this, get prepared for it. This is what you're going to face. And then you get a couple weeks 
to go home, play a bunch of games that you really should win most of, you know, maybe not all because you never expect 14 or 15 wins in a row, but you expect to go win most of those games and you can kind of sort things out now that you've showed guys what they need to look at at the end of the year. So I really like the way they set the schedule up. And I think that's a really, really, I don't know if it's intentionally done that way, but if it is, I think it's really smart because I think it's a really good way to set up the schedule. Yeah. I don't know if it's done intentionally. Uh, I think it's just maybe hit or miss or just maybe the way it falls uh, because every year they do have weeks, a couple of them throughout the season where they do have a Tuesday, Wednesday, back-to-back midweek game uh, set up. So I, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or, or whatnot. But, uh, yeah, r- real busy week coming up, five baseball games, uh, two basketball games, and I, I'm trying to box up my house because we close on on, on the current house and – the new house next week and moving and uh, officially a month away from my wife, <laughs> my wife's due date for, for baby number two. Uh, so life is, is rather hectic right now. And I, I find myself having what I think are good ideas and, and probably not, but I find them being good ideas and thinking when in the world am I going to find time to do that? Because there simply are not enough hours in the day right now, but I will say, I wanted to mention this earlier, would not trade it for the world it, it, it totally beats the alternative of covering two programs that are irrelevant I, I i would much rather deal with i mean i i'm so thankful to be covering uh an athletic department that outside of football season has a pair of programs that can go win a national championship i mean the basketball team the baseball team uh our lives although much busier are much more enjoyable because it's more enjoyable to show up to work each and every day. So crazy week ahead, a lot of implications for basketball coming up, particularly this Saturday in Knoxville. But man, I, it, it totally beats the alternative of of covering teams that are irrelevant or are bad because I, I look at some of these other programs that, that I run across or, or just view casually from afar. And it's like, man, I, I could not envision covering that team that that sounds just miserable so I, I wouldn't trade it for the world yeah i think about where i you're about the about the same age as my younger brother and so i think i think about going through where i was at that point in life and work and in tennessee in baseball did not have to be covered quite as intensely at that point sadly it just wasn't there wasn't much interest at that point They're, they were struggling they were on and off a little bit um just couldn't quite get it going and but it was still really busy with football and basketball throughout the year. And I think about just how crazy everything was at that point in my life. And then I try to imagine putting uh, like wife and multiple children on top of that. And uh, it makes my head spin just thinking about it. So <laughs> it's uh, for people who uh, do thoughts and prayers out there, uh, please add Ben to that. That is a lot on that guy's plate right about now. But Ben, Tennessee basketball, I think when Tennessee went, and had that performance that we all remember against Texas A&M. Went there, did not go right, could not make a shot. An opponent that never makes threes, made a bunch of threes. Uh, a team that was really fired up to beat you, went up there and snuck up and got you. Um, that was not a good night for Tennessee. They happened during the season. It's basketball, that's life. But the response to that, you can only play the teams in front of you on your schedule. But Tennessee so comprehensively took care of those two opponents and 
in a game where it's like hard to sometimes say, okay, I'm impressed by this. No, I was actually impressed by that. The way they handled those teams was impressive. And now there's another opportunity this week where you go to Mizzou, a team that beat you twice last season. So you probably got that stuck in your car a little bit. And then you get to play A&M again, a team that obviously you, you got something stuck in your craw about that one too. So Tennessee, big week, not huge name opponents, but games that I think will mean quite a bit to the guys in that locker room. Absolutely, it, it should be. And uh, this year is much different playing Missouri than last year. There's no bones about that. There is no shame at all and losing to last year's Missouri team. That that was one of the, I won't say one of the best teams in the country, but a, a top 20, top 25 team, which in a sense is one of the best teams in the country. Sure. Uh, there, there was no shame in, in losing to that Missouri team. Very frustrating, and one that you you don't take solace in, in finishing in second place, right? You play to win the games uh, unless you're playing – uh, soccer over in in the Premier League, <laughs> then you play for ties, which is the dumbest thing. Or Arsenal, and you're never losing again. Right, but um, we know they'll choke as well. But uh, there is no shame in losing to that Missouri team. There will be shame, a lot of shame, losing to this <laughs> Missouri team. I mean, this Missouri team is is just not good whatsoever. It, it is on the road, uh, but I don't expect some raucous environment for Missouri. Um, I, I think it'll be very similar to, to last week's Arkansas game, quite frankly, to, to where, uh, yes, it's on the road in conference play, but the team is just so bad that that doesn't matter. And, and I don't know how you feel, Wes, but, but it does kind of feel like this team has gotten over the hump in terms of slow starts. Maybe they're fooling me. Uh, maybe I regret saying this because I've I've said this before, and then they come out and and they get off to a slow start, and it bites them in the bud. But um, I I feel like they've turned the corner. I, I feel this team is in as good a mental place as you can possibly be midway through February. It, it seems like they are in a really really good place. It, it seems like they've figured out their roles, who needs to do what. They they've they've kind of taken their lumps in terms of learning lessons along the way and, and with things like not showing up and, and being ready to play. And and I think guys are really starting to settle in and, and I think you're starting to see them click as a whole. And uh, we'll see what happens with, with this gauntlet coming up. It, it is Arkansas. It is Vanderbilt. It is Missouri. These teams are terrible. Tennessee should be beating them by 30 and 40 points. Uh, but it does to me feel like this team is on the verge of playing its best basketball of the season, which would happen at the right time, given the gauntlet coming up in the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament coming up. So uh, I, I'm expecting a blowout win, quite frankly. I, I'm I'm expecting what we saw in Arkansas last week. I, I think that's, that's what will happen. I think that's what should happen. And uh, yes, have, have that motivating factor from last year's losses because those were very frustrating losses to Missouri, the half-court shot after blowing a lead and then simply losing in the SEC tournament. The, those were very frustrating and disappointing losses, so I would hope that there is motivation within that. But don't have egg on your face leaving Columbia because there's no shame in losing to that, that particular Missouri team last year, but there will certainly be if you did, did so on Tuesday night. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting is that Mizzou brought back a number of pretty – 
key players from that team last season. Not like all of them, obviously. It's a different-looking team, but a team that on paper did not look like a team that would be 0-12 in the SEC heading into this game. That does show you, though, just how fine the margins can be and just how much this league will kick you where it smells funny if you are not ready to come correct. Like you're just, you you drop off just a little bit, just a little bit, and life comes at you fast, right? Like you look at those, some of those teams, you know, the, the Vandys, certainly the Mizzou's, just it, all it takes is just a little bit and you can go from one level to, you know, it can go in a hurry. And because there are some names that you're going to remember from that Mizzou team last season that were big parts of that team last season, but um, not the same team. And I would say just start well, make sure the crowd doesn't get into it, make sure the team, make sure Mizzou doesn't start feeling good because, you know, Tennessee's not quite Kentucky yet in that when you go on the road, it's a packed house no matter where you go. It's not to that level yet. But Tennessee is getting closer to where it's a big deal when Tennessee comes to town because Tennessee's been ranked pretty much all the time under Barnes and say what you will about the tournament stuff, but we'll, we'll get to, I mean, whatever we've talked about that plenty, but that's a brand and a name that, you know, by now, and it is a big, big deal. Like Tennessee is honestly potentially a court storming win, you know, for, for a lot of places that Tennessee it, goes. It absolutely these days. Is. And, and so that you have to be ready. Like there's something about that where Kentucky, it's always helped that program a little bit that every time it goes on the road, it is hell on earth. And by the time you get to the end of the season, people talk all the time about how Cal's teams get better by the end of the year. And look at Kentucky now. Look at what happened at, at Auburn. Part of that is not just that they're young and that they get better. Part of that is every time they go on the road, it's, you know, hell for leather every time. And, and so that gets you battle-hardened. And so things like that are good for Tennessee. Like you want that to be as full as possible in Columbia. You when you go to South Carolina too, you want that to be a hostile environment because that's going to get you ready for where you need to go. It's not going to you're not going to play like road games in the postseason and all that, but you're going to play not at home. You're going to play where you're going to have some adversity, so go ahead and face it and see what you're made of. I think that's that's a good thing. I'm not quite ready to say that I'm just totally 1000% bought in on this having a storybook kind of ending. I would very much like that to happen because this program has been good enough for long enough where that's owed. It's owed to the fans. It's owed to those players who have been there for so long. Like, you know, they're, they're due one of these. They're due a good bounce in March. They're due a nice run. They're due not having an injury like Zegos at the end of the season. Like, they're due something like this. I still think there's going to be at least one more kind of fork in the road moment where I don't know if it'll come in the SEC tournament or if it'll come in Columbia, South Carolina, or like randomly at home to Auburn or at home to Kentucky. Something I think is going to happen at some point that throws something in this team's path in terms of adversity. And I want to see how that's handled um, because that that those things are big. But in terms of just how good is this team, like you're, I mean, this very much could be an SEC champion. This very much could be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. This very much could be a Final Four team. And you know what? Against You get to like a Purdue and UConn. Who knows, right? I mean, anything can happen. So you just, you don't, that team is good enough to beat anybody on the floor in any floor in any arena at any time. That's how good that team is. But will it kind of have the mental, you know, toughness? Will it have the... Um, the sort of competitive maturity? Will it have the 
um, will connect, be ready for the moment in those big spots down the stretch. Like things are going to happen. And so I want to see how they handle that stuff. And you need luck. You need luck. At the end of the day, you need luck. So I'm not ready to say, because I've been down this road before about like, nope, I think this is it, guys. I think this is this could be it. Um, but I'm at a more comfortable place with this team right now than I ever was after Ziegler's injury last season. Like, I just feel like it's, and even before then, really, I, I feel like the, the balance of this team is is a positive. It's This team has the formula, Ben. It's top 15 in offense and defense. That, that, puts, you, that puts you at the dinner table. Well, just because I say that I feel like this team has turned a corner or I feel like they are beginning to peak or are about to peak, that doesn't mean that I, I think that they're going to the Final Four. They're going to the Elite Eight. Sure. I, 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 to me, when I say that, it means that I feel good about this team going into the most important time of the year when their season will be determined a success or a failure. Uh, because we, we've seen Tennessee teams be on fire going into the NCAA tournament, and they, they had a bad game. Or bad half of basketball. I, I think of uh, the 2018-2019 season, the year in which they lost to Purdue. That team was playing really well going yeah. into the NCAA and tournament. And should have won that game. Yes. They they played a bad half of basketball in the first half. Put them behind the eight ball and climbing uphill all game long. And, and I feel, yes, the breaks went against them, calls went against them that should not have. But I also, on the other hand, have the thought process of, well, if you didn't dig yourself so big of a sure. hole early on, then it, it doesn't make those calls so much more important that, that they turned out to be. Uh, when, when you dig yourself such a big hole, I tend to think that when you're trying to fight and crawl back into it, that, that the breaks don't tend to go your way when, when you have dug yourself such a hole. And, and to me, that was, the Purdue game epitomized that. Uh, so that I think of that team – that was playing his best basketball going into March, in, in my opinion. And, and I think back to, to two years ago uh, when they lost to Michigan in the second round, I, I thought that team over the final month or so played great basketball, won the SEC tournament. I mean, how, how many people were picking Tennessee as their dark horse to make the Final Four? Yeah. And they played well in the first half, and then they, they even played well for, I'd say, the first several minutes of the second half, and then shots just stopped falling. So – when I say that I feel good about where this team is at, as good as I felt all year, and, and I think that they're about to peak, I don't say it in the sense of they're going to the Final Four. They're winning the national championship because the reality of it is we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea. We have no idea whether Purdue's going to win the national championship. We have no idea whether UConn's going to win the national championship because the NCAA tournament is the Weird. most wild sporting event in in all of sports, I, I really believe that, and it, it just it never seems to play out the way that you think it is going to play out. So the best thing that you can do is have your best foot forward entering the big dance, and I think Tennessee is on the verge of of doing that. And, and like I said a moment ago, Wes, I, I may end up having egg on my face here in a couple of of days. I mean, I mean it, it's a big game coming up on Saturday against A and M. Uh, we just saw that A&M team bully this Tennessee team. I'd be surprised if it happened again, especially inside of Thompson Bowling Arena, uh, but that is a losable game 
quote unquote. And then you have a four game gauntlet. All of a sudden, it does look a little bit different. Auburn has had some weird losses of late. Carolina's had some weird losses of late. And now Alabama, everybody kind of wrote them off after that loss to Tennessee. They can't stop winning. That's a road game. They just keep, and I did they not just at keep all scoring, have, man. They just keep scoring. I did not at all have Auburn losing to Kentucky in its own arena on my bingo card. And I still don't trust Kentucky. I'd be I'm still would be surprised if they make a deep run because I don't think you can trust them to be consistent. Um, and that's a home game for Tennessee, but you know they're going to want to have revenge. So uh, Tennessee is – I don't think Tennessee is going to go 5-0. and I obviously expect them to beat Missouri on Tuesday night, and then you finish with A&M, Bam on the road, Auburn at home, South Carolina on the road, and Kentucky at home. I'm not expecting them to go 5-0. and I think you're going to have to go close to undefeated and 5-0 and as, as you can if you want to win an SEC championship. But they, to your point, Wes, they will suffer another loss. I would be surprised if they went 5-0 and during that stretch just because of how difficult of a stretch that it is. But unless they fall flat on their face during that stretch, if they lose one game or a second game that's kind of back and forth and yeah, just, yeah. you know, it kind of plays out the way yeah. that some play out, like it's it's not going to be time to – raise all the red flags and, and freak out like Tennessee. I, I feel like they're playing. They're about to play their best basketball the season right now and, and have their best foot forward going into March. That's a really good way to put it. And I, I think the thing that the last thing I've got is that, well, actually two quick things. One small note at first, JP Estrella was back in practice on Monday doing more stuff. That's a good sign because, you know, I, I think maybe the past week he saw some of those other freshmen and was like, man, this, this knee better get better. Like, let's go. Like, that can speed up the process, right, of getting back out there. I'm just kidding, of course. But and he's back out there Monday doing not everything but a lot of stuff. So if he's not back this, you know, in this game, I think it'll be really soon. I don't think they're concerned about that. That's one thing. And then the second thing is m- my last thing is that what I like about this team, what I really, really like about this team is the number of ways – it could possibly win a basketball game. When I when you go into March, you want to be either so dominant in one area, just so dominant that you can hang your hat on that no matter what. Like if you're Houston, it's your defense, right? They're going to go out there and bully you physically. They're just going to be they're just so freaking good defensively that that's going to keep them in every game they play and then they they just need to score a little bit and then they're going to win most games. Unless you're so dominant in that one way, what you need is the most number of paths to win a game, right? Like you want that, whatever they call like the river card or whatever, to give you several different options, which could still win you the hand. And if you're Tennessee, you've got that. And, and you've you've got the ability to play really good elite level defense. You got the ability to play really elite level offense now. And look at the numbers. That's not an exaggeration. It is the truth. Don't run your car off the road. It is the truth. That's what the numbers say. And you could have the potential, like we've seen Connect go for 35, 38 points or whatever in Tennessee be right there and win games or be right there. We've seen Connect have 14-point games and like five guys score 13 or 14 points and they're right there where they need to be at the end of a game. They can they can beat zone. They can beat man. They can, you know, if a team tries to slow them down, they can speed up a little bit now. They're not as good offensively rebounding because you have to trade something. And they've gone, they've gone four guards and they've played faster, but you're not going to rebound at the same level when you do that. It's just not how basketball works. Let me, let me ask you this real quick about the offensive rebounding. Do you think their offensive rebounding numbers aren't – yes, they lack post-depth, no doubt about that. I'm not saying that Tennessee's a great rebounding team when I pose this question, 
Uh, so I, I understand that. But on on maybe a last half full approach, Tennessee is a better shooting team mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. The numbers are up. How much of that is how much of the offensive rebound numbers being down is a result of the shooting numbers being up and less opportunities for offensive rebounds? I think it's a combination of two things, I think, or three things. I think one, the the shooting is better, which helps. Two, they've gone to four guards, which hurts. And three, Jonas Adu has been even better than I think a lot of people thought he would be. And Tobey Awaka's had some foul trouble issues and some other things, and it's clearly you know the number two guy there at the post now. And he's not playing as many minutes as maybe you thought he might. And he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. So I think you put all three of those numbers together, and it adds up. Like even Rod Clark on Monday said that they knew going into the season there were two points of emphasis offensively. They were like, okay, guys, you want to go four guards? We're going to go four guards. But there's two things that have to happen now. Gang rebounding is non-negotiable. It has to happen or this team's not going to win. And two, you better play fast because if you're going to play four guards and you slow it down, there's no point in playing four guards. You might as well play two bigs. So you're going to rebound as a team and you're going to go fast or this isn't going to work. And that was basically put to them that simply. And so... I think it's a combination of things, really. I think if Awaka had had the kind of season maybe they thought he would to this point, or Adu hadn't been quite as good and, and Awaka got more minutes, or Awaka hadn't had as many foul problems, he would have played more, and that's going to mean more offensive rebounds because he's just a machine going to the glass. He'd be one of the best in the country if he played enough minutes to count, but he doesn't. So um, I think it's kind of a long answer there, but that's my answer to that is I think it's probably a combination of all three things. But they are making more shots, and when you have a guy like Josiah Jordan-James playing the four spot, and he can pull down a rebound and initiate full-court offense just like a point guard could because he has played point guard before, you're going to play fast, and you're going to be efficient offensively. And they're playing that tempo of offense, and they're not turning it over. Been the best turnover margin in this program in a quarter century, basically. So I think it's a lot more good than bad, and we're way pressed for time here we've had a long podcast but that's my answer to that is i think that they it's a combination of all three uh, of those things but we'll see it's a big week uh, we're gonna have another uh we're gonna have a diamond balls podcast coming out on tuesday for you before those midweek games that come out tuesday and wednesday uh we're another gonna... one on thursday good recapping midweek games good. and previewing the weekend good so that's gonna be a big one too that's gonna be fun before the albany great danes come into town over over the weekend hopefully they're better than some of those uh earth opening home weekend opponents of of recent years man some of them have been bad uh so hopefully uh we we see a little competitive baseball Uh, but we're gonna have another so we'll have all those podcasts coming out for you we're gonna have coverage of everything the new football hires them on the recruiting trail all of that stuff getting to know some of those guys a little bit through what people know about them we're gonna have a ton of stuff on the site like we always do but we had a lot to cram into this one episode so i hope that we got as much of it in as we possibly could and we will see where things go i suppose uh the next couple days ben we absolutely will just remember wes keep changing that narrative yeah the uh that's 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 good build a pitching lab while you're at it too there's that button and now i can say thank you for listening to this edition of the go vols 24 7 podcast we always say that but we always mean it thank you thank you thank you for listening you can find all of us on social media i'm west rucker 24 7 on twitter ben mckee is ben mckee 14 on twitter ryan callahan is ryan callahan 24 7 on twitter and patrick brown is p brown 24 7 
on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, uh, where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, nobody, and I mean nobody covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.